Jump. With this heart open wide from the depths, from the heights, I will breathe oh, a sacrifice. With these hands lifted high, hear my song, hear my cry, I will breathe oh, a sacrifice. I will bring oh, a sacrifice As I lay me down, I'm not my own I belong to you alone Lay me down, lay me down Oh, and on my heart this much is true myself on the announcements when I do them, and I've only done them twice, twice it uh, confirms that I've married up. I'm telling you what, she is so good looking, and, and I, I'm looking at the screen, and I'm thinking, you know, camera adds 10 pounds, and I'm like, holy cow, how many cameras they got on me up there? And then I looked worried that my glasses were down, and I'm like, Lord, have mercy. We probably, the, the guys that were filming me probably need to go, hey, we need to spruce you up a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Wow. I looked, I looked like I was in agony. And then you could tell I was reading. We don't have a teleprompter. We have a music stand with, a, with great, big, great big words on it. Because... And, and, You'd think a public speaker would be able to give the announcements without having to have a script, but it is amazingly difficult. I, I am just blown away. So anyway, I had to put that disclaimer out there for everyone. Holy cow. That's amazing. Thank you. I appreciate that. There's a few people who say I look good. You just have the gift of encouragement is what you have. <laughs> It's a supernatural revelation gift. You're able to see 
you have the eyes of Jesus. You, don't, you see through the blood. You don't see reality. You don't see the flaws. You're like God. See, you're a lot like God that way. God don't see the flaw, does he? He, he sees what he created. He sees what he intended. And he loves us in spite of us. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me over to the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Well, we have just entered into um, 2018. We're a few days in. And my question is, how's it going so far? I think it's only, what, uh, 363 more days or 360, maybe 360 days until uh, Christmas. So you got some shopping to do. Yeah, you can get that done. Amen. Has everybody been able to keep their New Year's resolutions, or are you looking for 2019? I need a fresh start. So, If you're like me, it's like, ah, we'll wait till next year, and we'll just get it done then. But, you know, this year as a church, we, um, through what I believe is the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, we've, we're moving into a theme uh, for this year as our church, and it's family. And... Um, um, this, this is something that's really, really very heavy on my heart. And I want to share this with you. And I, I, I pray today that, that in this message and then the few that are going to follow, because we're going to begin a sermon series entitled Family Dynamics, uh, my prayer is, is that you catch the spirit of this and that, uh, that God would really give you a revelation of what he's trying to say to the church. Um, because I believe this is a message that uh, really will revolutionize us. It will... It will change us in ways that uh, we may not really understand, but we will when it does, and we'll see the power of it. Um, there's nothing like family, nothing like family. And so this year we're moving into that, and we're moving into this theme of family. And when you think of the church, when you sit down, when I sit down, when you sit down, and we think of the church, what is it that we think about? Well, I think oftentimes we think about it sometimes in terms of a denomination, Sometimes we think of it in terms of an institution. Maybe we think of it in terms of a religion. You know, oftentimes I've, I've done that. I've talked to people and say, hey, you know, would you like to come to the church? Well, I'm, re- I'm not religious or I have my own religion or, or whatever it is, you know. And, and, and so we think about church as in terms of a religion. Sometimes we think about it in terms of that's just the place where we go to worship and, and, and study and, and get the word of God taught to us. But this morning, before the church was ever an institution, before it was ever a denomination, before, before it was ever an organization, before it was ever a place that people just gathered, it was a family. And I want you to listen to that. The church was a family. The church was born in the context of family. And I want you to listen to what I'm saying. It was and remains to this day our Father in Heaven's intention that the church would be a place where spiritual fathers and mothers in the faith could raise brothers and sisters in Christ as well as newborn babes in the faith to become a spiritual family. That is God's intention. That, that has been the one plan from the very beginning and has carried through the centuries. God wanted a family. Rick Warren said this. It's an interesting statistic. I, when I read this from his book, it, it, it just jumped out at me. He said this, every week 
Over 110 million people go to church somewhere in America. Now, to put that into perspective, if you take all the people who have ever gone to a baseball game or ever gone to a football game or ever uh, gone to a, a basketball game, a tennis match, or any public sporting event, and you added them all up and got a single total for the year of all of that attendance, it still would not equal the number of people who go to church every single weekend in America. That's good news, amen? But the problem is, is many of them go to church simply out of tradition. Some of them go out of guilt. Some of them go out of habit. Some of them just go. They don't know why. They don't even know why they go. And you have to ask yourself, why is that? Why would we go to church? Why, why are we here? Don't, don't answer. Kind of like heckling when you answer the question. When I ask a question and you answer it, then i got to deal with your answer. Because sometimes your answer ain't right. It ain't the one I was planning for, you know what I mean? So what do you think about that? And then somebody tells you what they think, and it's like, whoa! Huh, there's going to be a sixth sermon in this series. <laughs> why do you think that is? Why do you think, we, you know, why are we here? What are we doing What's the point? Well, some would say, well, we're here to worship God, yes. We're here to learn about God, yes, that's true, that's, that's all real. We're here to, to do church, that's great. But why are we here? I believe the thing that makes the church and its members powerful is the dynamic of family. It's when we understand that you and I are not just simply members of an organization, But we are, in fact, family members. Now, let me say this to you. That can be a little dangerous. We we just came through the holiday season. We had Thanksgiving. We had Christmas. We had all the different things that we celebrate in that. And and some of you know what I'm talking about. You went to a family dinner or family gathering, a family, uh, uh, you know, whatever it was, some sort of event family-wise. And, you know, Cousin It came. How many know I'm talking about? You know, Uncle Fester was there. I mean, you know, it's, it's n- n- no offense to Jeff and Rose, but sometimes it's the Adams family, you know. You know it's, it's like, wow, you know. But at the end of the day, no matter what, it's family, isn't it? It doesn't matter how weird they are. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how strange they are. It doesn't matter. You know, there's always going to be a fight. You know that. You know going in. And some of you go, that's why you go. It's like, this is, this is like Jerry Springer, man. This is great entertainment. But at the end of the day, it's family. And I love my family. I love my family. I, you know, my family is, is what they are what they are. They have their flaws. They have their hang-ups. They have their hiccups. They have their dysfunctions. But at the end of the day, family is family. And so when you think about church, see, somewhere, church, we got to expand our thinking. Or better yet, we need to get back to some old thinking. And that's that we're a family. See, the problem is, is in, in, we have gotten way too self-centered, haven't we? See, we, we've become a culture of the individual. 
I'm going to talk about this next week. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, hang on. I probably ought not to tell you. But <laughs> the reality is, is we, we've made church like Walmart. And I'm not against Walmart. But it's become, you know, one-stop shopping. We, what we want is we want a church that meets a myriad of needs. And I come and I pick and choose. Oh, that's me. Wow. Oh, they have, you know, one-eyed, no-hair, one-foot Bible study. That's me. You know? And we have this list of things. And, and what we want is we want, a, we want a bakery, we want a deli, we want dairy, we want, you know, we want to be able to buy a bed and a sandwich at the same spot. And that's what we want in a church. But we want it at the lowest cost possible. That's next week. I'll, I'll, get, I'll get there here in a minute. Next week, we'll, we'll deal with that. And the problem is, is we become individualistic rather than family or connected. It's about my need instead of our need. Yeah, let me tell you something about marriage. Can I, can I deviate just for a moment? I already am. I'm trying to figure out where I am in the notes. Well, let, me, let me just get, this must be for somebody. Let me tell you how to fix your marriage. Stop thinking about yourself. See, when you start thinking about your wife and she starts thinking about you or vice versa, whatever the appropriate application is, when you think about the other one first, it'll change your marriage. See, when you listen from the other person's point of view instead of your own, how many times, this, this is the famous thing, this is the famous example is the husband comes in, the wife, husband and wife come into counseling and, and her complaint is, he never tells me he loves me. And he goes, what do you mean? I tell you all the time. What's happened there? Well, the first thing is, the first thing you identify is there was a breakdown in communication. He's being, he's saying something she's not receiving. Amen. And so when she says, you're not telling me I love you, he becomes, to, he gets defensive because, well, it's really all about me. Yeah. Yeah. So he gets defensive rather than saying, well, I am saying it, she's not getting it, so I need to change how I'm talking. So all of a sudden, when, I, when I'm concerned about her instead of me, it changes how I do things, doesn't it? That's, wow, that's... That's another sermon somewhere. <laughs> but see, that's what we got to start doing. The Bible says that we're look, we are to look upon the needs of another before our own. But what's happened in America is we come to church more concerned about my need than yours. Let me tell you something. God is so smart. He is so wise that he developed it, that if you will meet someone else's need, your need will be met in the doing. That's how it works. If you're bummed out, if you if you're bummed out and go encourage somebody, you'll walk away encouraged. If you're hurting and you bring health, you'll find healing. One of the reasons that we're not being delivered, one of the reasons they're not finding healing, one of the reasons we're not finding encouragement is because we're con- so consumed with self. 
Are you hearing me? Did you know that every Christian is born into a spiritual family just as they've been born into a natural family? That's why we call God our Father. He is a Father of believers. And the church is really the manifestation of his family. We receive benefits of family members and we have responsibilities as a family member, don't we? And at Praise Chapel, one of the core values is that the church is the family of God. We're not just a church of church members. We're not an organization or a denomination or an institution. We are a family. This influences that revelation, influences our priorities, and influences how we treat one another. <coughs> I guarantee you, I treat family different. Even crazy family, I treat them different. We're not just to meet together once or twice a week, but we are to commit our lives to one another. That's what the Bible says. Listen to these scriptures before we get to our text. Hang on. Listen to this. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 47 through 50, it says, Then one said to him, a person came to Jesus and said, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said, the one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand towards his disciples and said, here are my mother and brothers. For whom who does the will of the Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Then he goes on in 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2. He says, to, he's, Paul is talking to young Timothy and he's giving him instruction. And he says, do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger as sisters with all purity. What is he talking about? Everything that's being said here is being talked about in the context of family. Paul's instructing Timothy how to have a family. Jesus comes on the scene and he says, look it, this is about family. And when you turn over to Ephesians chapter 2, you'll see the same common denominator in our text starting in verse number 19 the bible says now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with all with the saints and the members of the household of god having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets jesus christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the lord in whom also you in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of god in the spirit listen to this the common denominator in these scriptures is he's talking about family you are members of the household of god you got to catch that See, the problem is, is we have so distilled down Christianity that it really boils down to an activity that we do one hour a week. But that's not Christianity. Christianity is about coming into connection with a family that's larger than ourselves. John Calvin said these words. He says, the church 
is the gathering place of God's children where they can be helped and fed like babies and then guided by her motherly care and grow up to spiritual adulthood in maturity of faith. This has been the understanding from the very beginning of the church that we are a family. Now, if you're a student of history and you study old Roman culture, you'll understand that Roman became, Rome became a great society and a great uh, nation because it was built upon the context of family. You'll also understand that Rome fell and great was the fall of it because it despised In time, it grew to a place where it minimized and reduced the importance of family in that society. One man said this. He says, what makes us civilized is the fact that we have the capacity to be a family. And I declare to you this morning that what makes us, this church, powerful and effective and a force to be reckoned with is we have the capacity to be a family. There is no greater institution, there is no greater organization, there is no greater grouping of people than a family. See, when you're a family, you will fight for the family. Amen. Passive little tapioca pudding people like me turn into monsters when you threaten the family. Amen. See, that's the powerful thing about family. It's like you you mess with my kids, you find another side. You mess with my wife, you find even worse. I might let you off on my kids. Sometimes they deserve it, but... My wife never does. There is never an opportunity, ever. She never deserves it, ever. You got that? No. Just, <laughs> did, you, did you see it happen? You just, man, I was just, I was, I was getting, I, that fight was coming up. It's like, who's messing with my wife? That, that's family. I remember a story. It's actually off a TV show. It's one of my favorite TV shows, and is uh, you, m- many of you remember the uh, Andy Griffith show, you know Andy Taylor and Barney Fife and Opie and all of them. Well, in this one particular show, this was this was this was a show that that I saw when I was a kid, and even as a kid, it touched my heart. And basically, the show is this, and it come the, the, this particular show came early in the season because early in the uh, the uh, series of, of of the shows because Opie was quite young. Ron Howard, the actor, was quite young in it. And the, show, the premise of the show was is one day young Opie was out in the woods somewhere and he's messing around doing whatever little kids do. And, and this man who was a power uh, lineman, he was, worked for the electric company, he was up in the trees working on power lines. And he comes down and he, he's walking around and Opie sees him and says, well, who are you? And he says, well, my name is Mr. McBeavy and he's got kind of this Irish accent and and opie sees all these tools on his side and he goes what are those he goes those are my extra hands and he goes well what's that on your head he goes that's that he goes that's my helmet it protects me and he says where where do you live he goes i live in the trees and you know they just go on so finally opie runs to 
see Andy, you know, his dad and Barney. And so they're in the, the sheriff's office, and Opie comes running in, and he says, Dad, 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 I met a man in the woods. His name is Mr. McBeavy, and he has all kinds of hands, and he wears a metal hat, a, a silver hat, and he lives in the trees. <laughs> and, you know, Andy kind of indulges him for a little bit, but Barney ain't going to have nothing to do with it. <laughs> Barney, you know, so Opie goes off, and Barney goes, you got to deal with this, man. You need to nip it. Nip it, nip it, nip it. <laughs> Nip it in the bud. And so finally the show develops and, you know, Opie is not going to give up on his friend. And Andy goes out and looks for the guy and, and he never sees him. And finally it comes down to, you know, Barney and, and, and Andy are talking. And, and finally Andy says, well, you know, the boy's lying. I'm going to have to give him a whipping. And that was back in the day when whippings were still allowed. And, which, that's another sermon. And... Uh, and so he, so he brings, uh, he brings Opie home, and they go upstairs, and Aunt, uh, Aunt B and, and Barney are in the front room being real quiet. And, and so Andy walks in, and there's Opie. He's just a little kid, probably about four or five years old. Andy looks at him and says, now, Opie, before I give you a whipping, I'm going to give you another chance to tell the truth about Mr. McBeavy. You know he doesn't exist, right? And he says, Opie looks at him and goes, but, Dad, he does. He's my friend. And then finally, with tears in his eyes, it's great. You need, to, you, need to, you need to get it on Netflix or Hulu or whatever internet thing you have. He looks, into, he looks into Andy's eyes and with tears in his, and he goes, Dad, don't you believe me? And Andy goes, yes, I do, Opie. And he walks out, and he comes downstairs, and he's standing there at the staircase, and Barney goes, well, did you do it? Did you do it? Did you, did you nip it? Did you give him a spanking? Did you, did you whip him good? And Andy goes, nope, I didn't whip him. And Barney goes, so you can't tell me you believe in Mr. McBeavy. And Andy goes, nope, I don't believe in Mr. McBeavy, but I believe in my son. And you know, that is the power of family. The power of family is relationship that trusts in the face of uncertainty. It's, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know why you're doing it, but you're my family, and I'm going to believe in you. I'm going to believe you because it's you. The rest of the story is as Andy goes out to the woods, kicking rocks, upset that his son's been lying, and lo and behold, here comes Mr. McBeavy, <laughs> jingling when he walks, hand, you know, tools on his side, metal hat. He goes, hello there. He said, my name's Mr. McBeavy. And Andy is, he goes, I have never been so happy to meet anybody in my life. But see, that's family. See, here's the problem. We, we, we have grown so individualistic in this country that every move somebody makes, we're suspicious. What are you doing? Because we think it's about us. Every move that we, so what, what, what are you doing? I'm, I'm. I'm walking down the street, man. I'm, I'm minding my own business. Well, stay off my property. It's true. And that's happening in church. One man said this, drug addiction, alcoholism, teenage sex and pregnancy, gang violence, divorce, homelessness, mass shootings, dysfunction of every kind are not the problem. They are the symptom of a family in decline. And as we 
progress through this sermon, I, what I want to do is I want to, just for a few more moments, I want to put into your thinking four non-negotiable values that must be a part of every believer's life. The first one is probably the beginning stage, and it's called fellowship. In Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 43, the Bible says these words, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to notice the wording here just for a moment in this verse. Notice he says, the fellowship. See, what that indicates to me is it wasn't just an activity. It was a principle. It wasn't something they occasionally did or, 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 or intermittently did or, or something they could take or leave, but it was a principle of how they did life. And what this is describing, what this passage is describing, is the beginning of the church. See, the church began on the day called Pentecost. Jesus had died and was resurrected. We know the story. He visited his disciples and others for 40 days. And then on that last day before he ascended to heaven, the Bible says that he spoke to his disciples and told them to gather in a place in Jerusalem, the upper room, and wait for power. And on that day, that 10th day, that 50th day from his death, the Spirit of God came, power fell, and and 3,000 people were saved, and the church was born. Now notice in verse 42... We find out about how they began to conduct their life as Christians and as the church. They were continually, listen, it's important. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now here's the thing. The church began in a revival that produced 3,000 salvations. And there were four things that they devoted themselves to. And all of those things had equal value. One was the apostles' teaching. Two was fellowship. Three was breaking of bread. And four was prayer. Now it's interesting to me that fellowship and breaking of bread is bookend between teaching, and prayer. There are times in the Old Testament where God calls us to a fast. There are times in the New Testament where we see that same dynamic. But there are also times in equal measure that God called us to feast. That should have got a big amen. Amen. The reality is, church, we have no problem understanding teaching and prayer as being the context of church. But fellowship and the breaking of bread, you and I connecting on a regular basis, were equally as important as the teaching and prayer. Why? Because we're not dealing with any group, we're dealing with a family. And the result was there was a supernatural moving of God's spirit. People came together and they began to meet the needs 
of those around them. All of a sudden, for the first time, they stopped looking at self, and they started looking at others, and in turn, those needs got met, and the ones that were meeting the needs got theirs met as well. Day by day, breaking bread from house to house. Listen, somebody brought this up to me after the service this morning. Said it was not just a weekend thing, it was a daily, day by day, breaking bread from house to house. In other words, something was happening on the inside that was compelling them outside of the church and was compelling them into their lives. In other words, the church was not about a building, but the church was about a relationship. Praising God and having favor with all people. And the Bible said, and the Lord continued to add to their number. What a shocking thing it would be to get to heaven and find out that the lack of fruit in our lives ended up being simply because we wouldn't connect with one another. See, what strikes you when you read this is that they had common things in common and they shared life. And it was bound up in one word called fellowship. And you know what that was? It was a community. It was a community of people committed to one another. And that was the first expression of life in the church. Which that leads us to the second value. We have fellowship. The second value is community. Community. Randy Frazee said these words. He says, community is not a luxury. It's a necessity for life. Sadly, it is a necessity that many of us lack. He said, the church is the one institution that has community built into the mission as a non-negotiable thing. The mission of the church is to develop people to be followers of Jesus Christ. And it takes a community to do it. Are you hearing me? See, the development of meaningful relationship, relationships in a community is where we carry our significance and our sense of belonging. That's where we fit in. This is not nothing new. It happens in the secular world as well. That's why criminal organizations, gangs, are so powerful. Because their family broke down. They no longer belong. Now they come into a group where they belong. And if you think it's about anything other than that, you're wrong. They, to feel like I belong, I will do just about anything. And they've understood. See, the devil understands that if I make you feel like you're significant and you belong, you will commit just about any crime to prove it. Well, not me. No, I'm just a loner. No, you're not. You're not. You need people. The church is not a building. It's a God-ordained gathering of people saved by the grace of God and joined together in community. This has been and will always be the will of God. Think about it for a moment. In fact, the God that we worship is a community. He said, well, what, do you, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three distinct personalities, one God, very first community. 
When God came on the scene and he created man, he created the heavens, the earth, he created all the animals, the oceans, all the stuff. Then he created man, and when he finished, he looked around and said, everything is good but one thing. He said, it's not good that man be alone. And the Bible says that he took man and he removed a rib and he fashioned a woman. He took something out of the man and fashioned a woman to be a helpmeet, to be a partner, to come alongside him. Why? Because the man was incomplete. His wholeness was incomplete without community. And the only way he could truly be complete was something had to be removed and then stand alone so that it could be in community. Uh, you catching that? Yeah, no, no, no. That, that just, that's hot off the press right there. That's one of those moments where you go, wow, God, you're, you're saying something there. It's community. That's what we were created for. We were created for community. The very first human community was the very first family. And the very first family became the very first church. The husband is the priest of his home. He's the pastor of his home. He's not the dictator of his home. He's the head servant. That's a good place, men and ladies. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. What did he come to do? I came to serve. Not to be served, but to serve. To seek and save that which is lost. To die. That's what Jesus did for the church. The very first church was the very first family. So family is our third value. We have fellowship, we have community, and now we have family. And in our text, the Bible says that we are members of the household of God. And what stands out to, he, out to me here is he uses this context. He says, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. In other words, you're no longer aliens, but you are now citizens. You are members with all the rights and the privileges and responsibilities of that household, that family. We're born into a family. You know, we have little Oliver with us right now. Andy and Shay are out of town. They took some youth to a conference, and Oliver's at our house, and it's always great watching Oliver uh, because he's starting to learn to talk now, and so he's talking in sentences. And he's a hoot, man. He, 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 he can, he's, <laughs> the other day he was, walks in the kitchen, and he says to Grandma, he, he's playing with, he's blowing bubbles, and, he, he, he's gone, I think, Grandma, we're going to watch Dino, what is it, Dinosaur Garage? Dinobots. Supercharged Dinobots. It's a cartoon. And Grandma says, no, I think we're going to watch Grandpa's show. And Oliver goes, no, I think we're going to watch Supercharged Dinobots. <laughs> and I says to Oliver, I said, are you talking back to Grandma? He goes, yeah. <laughs> he's just like his dad. You got to appreciate the four-year-old. He's honest. I mean, by the time they get six, they, nope, not me. I'm not talking back. No, he, yeah, that's right. So I'm talking back. He's a lot of fun. But can you imagine Oliver 
Okay, well, well, let's just, let's see, this is what happens, church. Because remember, we're a fellowship, we're a community, and we are a family, right? Now, can you imagine, now, here's Mike and Brandy. Mike and Brandy have a brand new, beautiful home. Just had it built, beautiful. They have beautiful children. And they have, they have two little children that, that uh, Caleb and Sarah, right? And they're friends with Oliver. Now, I can tell you, just because of the way we do life, the way the Poole family does life, and the way the Fields family does life, there is differences. Now, can you imagine, and they're a family, and we're a family, and we are a part of a community called family, right? Got Got me so far? Oliver comes home and looks at Andy and Shay and says, I don't like the way you do family here. I'm going to the Fields' house. Because they get McDonald's a lot more. It's a lot easier at their house. I have no responsibility there. See, here's the problem with not being connected. It's like a vacation. See, I've been on many vacations. You know, Kathy and I, this last year, we, we took a road trip and drove all over... The southwest, and we saw some beautiful places. I mean, gorgeous. And I'm standing there looking, and I went to Kathy. I goes, I could live here. Right here, man. This is it. Build a house right there. But see, the problem is, is being on vacation is vastly different than living there. See, living there comes with responsibility. It comes with all of the things that have to work and do and live to be life. Vacation is you're just passing through. You're not sojourners and strangers. You're members of the household. And God planted you in the family just as Oliver was born in Andy and Shay's family and Sarah was born in Mike and Brandy's family. Sarah gets up and goes, Sit. I'm done. Can't take these three brothers I have. These knotheads. I'm, I'm moving to Grandma's house. No, you ain't. You're part of this family. You're going to go clean your room. Why? Why do I got to clean my room? Because that's part of the family. Why do you do dishes? Because it's part of the family. Are we catching that? But see, in the church, in the context of the church, the moment we lose family, I don't got to do nothing. Somebody else will do it. it. Ain't my problem. Is that tough? Is that? <sighs> no, <laughs> I'm almost done. Jay should probably come play music so, so we feel better. Why am I talking? Why am I saying this? Is it because the grace of God's not real? No. The grace of God is immense. It's, it's beyond what we can imagine. The mercy and, and the goodness and the love of God. All of that. That's all real. But listen, God wanted a family. And he wants us connected as a family. And if we will truly become a family, nothing will be impossible for us. Do you understand family? There, there are certain dynamics that take place in family. Family is the incubator for every other relationship. It's where we get our understanding of relationship. Family is where we learn to be loved and to love. Why do we struggle? Because 
we're not connected. Family is where the seedbed of all ministry comes together. Could it be that we've overcomplicated ministry? Could it be that ministry really, in the end, is nothing more than my, me and you taking our place in the family? Family is the place where all identity is formed. My identity, who I am in Jesus. He said in, in John chapter 1, verse 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. Family. I'm a child of God. And it's in that family that that reality becomes real. Family is where all transformation occurs. Fear turns to security. Insecurity turns to confidence. Loneliness gives way to belonging. Grief finds comfort. Sadness melts away into joy. Confusion is pushed out by peace. Emptiness is filled with purpose. Rejection is overcome by acceptance. Pain is relieved through healing. Depression is removed by hope. Insignificance is replaced with identity in the context of family. Church, let me say this to you as I bring this to a close. We're almost done. Family is intentional. No one has a family by accident. I know today we live in a society that has lost its way when it comes to marriage and physical relationship. And the result is, is because we've left that boundary, we now have what I would call unintentional family, but the truth is it's never unintentional because even if it's a one-night stand, you wanted to. You may not have considered the outcome, or the consequences in such action. But you didn't just fall into it. You didn't get married by accident. You didn't, you didn't weren't walking down the, you know, you went, didn't go to the mall and come home married. <laughs> and even if you did, even if the circumstances were that sudden, there was a decision, there was an intentionality at some point that says, I want to connect with you. Which leads me to my fourth value that we must understand is non-negotiable in Christianity, and that's the body of Christ. Fellowship, community, and family are all the expressions of one thing, and that's the body of Christ. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5 says, Just as our bodies have 
many parts and each part has its special function. Are you catching that? So it is with Christ's body. We are all parts of his one body and each of us have different work to do. And since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other and each of us needs all the others. You say, what is that saying? Let me see if I could simplify that. You cannot be connected to the head if you are not connected to the body. Christ being the head in Ephesians 1, and 23 says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things, to be the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fulfills all and all. It is physically impossible to be connected to the head without being connected to the body. The Bible says that each of you have a special function. What that means is, is there is a place for you to fit so that you can function. When you fit in the body that God placed you in, you become part of a family. When you become a part of that family and you become and you're working in that family as that position, that is the ministry God has called you to. And it's in that that we get connected to the head. Now, let me say this as I close. The revelation is this, is that God is just as concerned about my relationship with you as he is with my relationship with him. You cannot have one without the other. You say, how do you know that Jesus, being a wise man, was once being tested by the Pharisees? And they came to him to see what he would say was the greatest of all laws. Tried to trip him up. They often did that. And they came to him and they said, Jesus, what is the greatest law in your opinion? And Jesus responded this way. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your strength, your mind, and your everything. And he says, and the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, in this, everything is fulfilled. Amen. What is he saying? He's saying relationship this way can only be true if there's relationship this way. When we disconnect any of those, see, when you disconnect from the body, you disconnect from the head because he won't disconnect from the body. So imagine again, little Oliver, little Sarah going, I'm out. Doesn't make sense, does it? So I think the reason, and, and once again, the, Every preacher closes three times. Once again, I think the reason we struggle with this is because, by and large, the Western world has lost the idea of family. You know, it's been so, so beat up. We have, you know, children living in all kinds of conditions and marriages and, that are broken and families that are blown apart. So it's hard for us to get a good bead on what family is supposed to be. But it's family. 
Next week, I'm going to talk a lot about that. I'm going to, I'm going to deal with, at first, it's going to seem a little difficult, but I'm going to deal with what family really does, what it looks like to have good family. I'll say this. I've, I've been blessed in my 52 years of existence to be a part of my family as a child, my, my mom and dad got saved really before I could remember. They were Christians and I was raised in the church and just had wonderful family. I'm only child, so the three of us, just wonderful family. And now being married and next year, this year will be 32 years. And, and uh, Jason is, Jason's my oldest, he's 20, 28. He's 28. And, and uh, he has a child, little Titus. You saw him, if you've been here, you saw him. He was dominating the announcements last week or the week before. And being a part of a healthy family, that healthy family doesn't mean it's always perfect or doesn't mean it's always calm. It just means it's healthy. It means, it means at the end of the day, him and I will fight and argue. He'll yell at me and I'll yell at him. But at the end of the day, he's my son. And I don't care what he does. That will never change. Are you hearing me? Sometimes she don't always balance the checkbook. Never. But I love her more than anything other than Jesus. I love her more than him. And you go, what? I can't love him right until I love her more. Are you hearing me? That's what makes him secure. Is I love his mother. I'll die for her. No hesitation. None. That's family. And that's what we need to be. No greater love than there is, than a man should lay down his life for his brother. Everything Jesus talked about was family. Are you hearing that today? Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we just come before you right now, and we thank you, Lord, that you have given us this revelation. Lord, we pray today that as we go from this place, Lord, that you would cause... God, this revelation just to begin to blossom and bloom inside us. Father, that you would help us, instruct us, and teach us. God, that this would not just be another sermon, but Lord, that this would be a line in the sand that we would draw and say, this year, 2018, I'm going to be intentional and I'm going to be a part of a family that's bigger than me. And Lord, I just thank you, God, that you've given us this. And I pray, Father, for every home, I pray for every marriage, every family in this room, Lord, that blessing and favor would be poured out upon it. I pray for the family called Praise Chapel, Lord, that you would smile, that your countenance would shine upon it, that favor and abundance and goodness, and Father, that you would add to our number those that are yet to be a part of our family. And Father, we just give you all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen.
Praise God. Isn't God good this morning? You can stand to your feet.